With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Wild West Podcast, where today I'm excited to welcome my guest, big wave surfer Grant Washburn. Grant lives in San Francisco, and he's one of the OGs at Mavericks, that famous surf break in Half Moon Bay that has been known to deliver some of the biggest waves on the planet. Grant's been surfing it for over 20 years, and he's as tied into the local surfing culture in San Francisco as anybody. Big wave surfing really gets going in the winter, and with the season changing, I wanted to get Grant for a minute to talk to him about a bunch of stuff happening in the local surfing scene right now. There's the Maverick Surf Contest, which has been running on and off for the past 20 years, and it lost its host organization earlier this year, and so for now, it's unclear what will become of the future of that event, which draws surfers and viewers from around the world. And then recently, San Francisco's 50-year-old surf shop called Wise announced that it was closing. And that follows in this trend of struggling retail establishments in the era of Amazon and home delivery, but it still felt like a blow to the San Francisco surfing community here. And then there's this relatively young organization called the City Surf Project in San Francisco that's teaching at-risk kids and teenagers in the city to surf, and it's connecting them with surfing mentors. And that's an interesting project that Grant has kind of been involved with a little bit. Grant's home surfing break is Ocean Beach, right there on the western edge of San Francisco. It's notoriously gnarly with these rip currents and pounding waves, but it's also a consistent spot. I mean, you can usually surf it year-round. And it's that break that has nurtured the local surfing community for the past 70 years. That's another thing that surfers are attracted to, is that this is a rough place, and just even to get a couple on any average day is actually a pretty big accomplishment. And when you come in, you feel really uh, exhilarated from just from that. Grant and I got together at Sutro Heights one morning recently to talk about the state of surfing in San Francisco. The park overlooks Ocean Beach. We sat on a park bench together with some coffees and just started talking. A storm was just clearing up and the swell was pumping, but nobody was out surfing. It was pretty rough. So we got together and talked before Grant was going to go out for his morning session. So let's get into it. Here's my conversation with big wave surfer Grant Washburn. Welcome to the podcast, Grant. How's it going? It's going good. Thanks for having me. This is the perfect view of, you know, north-south, like all of Ocean Beach. And you can really see the breaks unfolding all the way and the, the potato patch. Yep, the outer bars. Yep. Outer bars, thank you. Which are breaking, which is pretty... It's not uh, common even in the winter. Like, most of the days especially at high tide, it wouldn't be this big. So it's, it's actually a huge swell today. And yet, there are no surfers out today. <laughs> at least not yet. Yeah, there probably won't be too many people here at Ocean Beach. There's a few of us are going to try to surf later, but the storm came through last night. It was really ugly. So the ocean is just starting to settle down. And it looks nice from way up here, but those giant waves are actually pretty bumpy still. But doesn't the, doesn't the fact that there is nobody out here attract a certain type of like hardcore surfer who lives, you know, on the great highway and only wants to come out when the waves are gnarly and there's nobody around. Yeah, absolutely. And that, I mean, it's, it's neat 
uh, for me, this is what I love about surfing is this kind of frontier. If you were out there right now, you'd be the only person and nobody would be able to see you. You'd be as far off into the wilderness as you could get and uh, and really have that experience. And, and when I grew up in the East Coast where I learned to surf, it was so rare to even get that kind of feeling and mostly just because you'd go somewhere that there aren't any other surfers, but the waves were rarely big enough to really make you feel like you were out in the mountains or out in the, you know, the wild desert or something. This Ocean Beach has that a lot. This is the frontier. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, if you didn't know, if you weren't in the scene, you wouldn't necessarily think that right on the edge, the western edge of San Francisco, is this, like, proper surf destination and it's not really a beginner place. It's for kind of, you know, advanced surfers and big wave surfers also. Yeah, I mean, that's people come from all over the world. And, and uh, on a good day, it's it's spectacular. And you can get these kind of, you know, magical rides. But most of the time, it's a lot of work, a lot of challenge. And that's another thing that surfers are attracted to is that this is a rough place. And just even to get a couple on any average day is actually a pretty big accomplishment. And when you come in, you feel really uh, exhilarated from just from that. So it's it's not often that it's a really great place to catch a perfect wave but it's very often that it's a huge challenge and and a lot of uh, a lot of good training yeah it has that reputation of being a place where like hardcore surfers want to go uh because it's cold it's brutal it's hard to paddle out there's no like good there's no easy place to paddle out there's no nice channel to go to to just like go out and check it out and be casual about it you kind of have to be hardcore in order to surf here but it also seems like that's, well, so can you just describe basically uh, how surfing works at Ocean Beach? Like how it is actually done? <laughs> yeah, well, one of the things that a lot of, a lot of the sort of premium surf spots and the you know, famous breaks have a, a channel on one side and a wave that is breaking in a controlled manner such that you could paddle out next to it and then enter the break zone when you're ready to and catch a wave. And at Ocean Beach, you pretty much have to go through the break zone on almost every day even on a small day and if you're unlucky you can kind of spend half hour an hour <laughs> working your way through it so it's kind of like climbing up the mountain to go uh you know, ski down instead of the chairlift which the other surf spots would have but also sometimes the avalanches are taking you out as you're hiking and you can sometimes be pushed all the way back to where the little kids are digging hole right on your feet and you've been paddling for 20 minutes and you're right on the beach and so it's that kind of hum- humbling experience which a lot of us love and so you have been surfing Ocean Beach for about 30 years now, is that right? Uh, yes, it's getting hard to count, but something like that. <laughs> okay. Not quite, but yeah. And I definitely had no idea what I was doing when I got here. And um, so as opposed to a person who grew up here and knew what they were messing with, I just kind of dropped in after college and had no clue. Yeah, what was it like? Do you remember the first time paddling out or the first, you know, the first couple of times that you surfed here? What was that like? Yeah, I think mercifully I, I showed up in the summer because school ended in like June or whatever and I came out around in July. So the way the seasons work here is the big waves don't come until around in the fall and winter. So no matter what, if you show up in July, you're going to have a little bit of a, a, a blessing in the period of warming up. Uh-huh. So as it was getting bigger and bigger and I didn't really know and that was in 1990 that this was a spot that was going to get giant waves. It wasn't. I didn't know that there was any place in California that got giant waves. Really, I mean, I knew Southern California, I'd seen some pictures, but I'd never seen any pictures from around here of any real waves, any good waves. And uh, yeah, sure enough, it was like 15 foot faces one day. And I said, gosh, the waves are big. And the, some guy in the parking lot next to me said, what, did you just get here? I said, yeah. He's like, well, this is nothing. I'm like, what do you mean nothing? He's like, oh, it gets way bigger than, you know, way bigger. <laughs> and I didn't, you know, 15 to 20 foot faces was pretty 
big, I thought. And, yeah. Uh, and he was saying, no, no, it gets way too big, which is a thing I'd never heard of. Too big. It's too, it gets too big right in front of my house. Huh. Yes. <laughs> really? When's that happen? Soon. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I want to see that. So we didn't know. I mean, I didn't know. And sure enough, it happens. It gets to be 50 and 60 feet out here. And today, those, like I was saying, these waves that are breaking out here are easily 30 to 40 feet in the middle there. Yeah. Uh, in that time that you've been that you've been out here that you've been surfing we were just talking a minute ago about how the scene overall has changed and it's kind of evolved from that uh smaller group of more hardcore surfers to a lot more a more like diverse crowd um of all different levels so what what does that look like today like on a good day on like a sun, just a sunny day when there is when there's a little bit of a swell and the waves are breaking i mean there are hundreds of surfers who are out here yeah another thing that happens here is uh when the waves are really small ocean beach is it gets a disproportionate amount of energy it's actually kind of a magnet so what's making the waves really big here today bigger than most of the coast is also going to make the waves bigger on a small day when other places are too small to even surf ocean beach a lot of times will still have some waves and um so it's actually not a bad place to be a beginner because there's surf all the time and in the east coast you have months at a time where there's no surf so mm-hmm. it's hard to learn to surf when there's no waves at all there's always waves here always and in my 29 years almost i think i've never seen an unsurfable day as far as the size of surf like in the east coast if it's waist high that's swell yeah <laughs> it's always waist high here in yeah. fact it's almost always head high here um but there's lots and lots of kids learning there's families there's you know more women than ever old people young people so the where it used to be kind of a, you know, 20 to 30 something, um, men, it's, it's a cross section of sort of everyone now or a lot more broader than it was. And if it's done safely, if you have good wetsuits and someone knows what they're doing, it's actually really a good activity for kids to, to learn, to be safe in the ocean, get the experience and the challenge. And it's a really healthy outlet for a lot of energy that kids have that aren't otherwise being channeled into something good. So the surfing thing that's going on here in San Francisco and around, actually around the world is a great thing for that younger generation you know is there anything specific about the way that the scene has evolved in san francisco that has diversified the surfers who come here or do you just feel like it's part of that uh, you know that broader global trend of more people being interested and exposed to being interested in surfing and exposed to surfing in general around the world because of the commercialization of it because of whatever you want to look at the competitive circuit because of the apparel because of media in general yeah i mean i I think probably the surfing's greatest marketing ploy is that it's really fun (laughs) and people can see that yeah so at the youngest levels you see you know like a dog running on the beach i mean they just love it and kids love the water people love the water so surfing doesn't really need exposure is what you know, attracts a bunch of people to it. It's not necessarily that it's being, um, you know, modeled one way or another. I think to me, when I, when you introduce kids to it, whether they're inner city kids or kids that grew up on a beach or, you know, a little kid is from Hawaii and, you know, like born in the tide pool, you see that natural connection and it, the stuff just grows. It's, it speaks to people in different ways and they have their own, um, you know, way of approaching it, but it's really, really a special relationship between a person and the world. And that's what um, makes it grow. We'll get back to my conversation with Grant in just a moment. But first, let's take a quick break. You know, we were talking a minute ago about how the technology and the technology has changed and the 
Um, the gear, the equipment is as good as it's ever been, as cheap as it's ever been, uh, and the avail and you know the um, the availability of things like surf cams uh, have made it easier to check the conditions, and so it just makes for a really easy like entry experience for for new people for beginners. Yeah, and in particular, like a, a huge difference between when I moved here and now is the quality of the wetsuits. And if you can picture, like, there are people around that still were around before wetsuits. Like, you yeah. talk to some guys that served here. If there's no wetsuit and the water's 52 and the air is whatever and it's cold, you're not going to last very long. And it's pretty treacherous. Yeah. <laughs> so the wetsuits have gotten really, really good. It's super comfortable. It's much safer to be in the water. An inexperienced person who doesn't have a wetsuit on is in a lot of trouble here, even on a small day. So most of the actual tragedies in the surf are usually small days when it's kind of nice and warm and people get lured into it. It's rarely a big cold day that gets somebody off guard. So it's um, the wetsuits have made it easier for everyone to get out there. The softboards have made it. It's a it's a, it's easier ride to get onto a wave to stand up. It's safer because you're bumping into each other and they don't go to the hospital every time. Yeah. Um, you know, in the old days, a lot of boards didn't really work very well and they were really sharp and pointy and <laughs> full of things that you wouldn't want as a parent to put your kid into. Um, but now you can you can set them up in a way that's pretty soft and pretty friendly and they can learn the ropes without you know all the bumps and bruises we used to get. And like for me as a kid, it's funny, but we had true bungee cord leashes. So the, the leash was literally that rubber. Uh-huh. And so when you fell, you knew that thing's coming back. And right. it was like sketchy. The pointy tail and the pointy back of the fin <laughs> is coming right back at you every yeah. time. It yeah. was like crazy. So you'd be way better off without a leash. Uh, but that's what they were doing in the 70s. And, um, you know, so anyways, yes, it's a lot more user friendly. It's a lot more um, approachable for a lot of people. And um, these areas that were pretty much off limits are now open open for um you know fun and surfing has that reputation of being a a a sport that attracts like a where each surf spot can attract a hardcore group of locals who um are very territorial and ocean beach definitely has like its hardcore group of locals but it doesn't seem like it has that territorial vibe What, what do you think uh, you know what? I'm, I, no, they're probably all going to be mad at me. Um, <laughs> no, the, you know, the ocean beach is a big uh, spread field, but there's definitely really intense areas where the waves are really good and only the best surfers, um, you know, are going to be able to make the most of those sections of the beach. And so when people are sort of wandering around out here and, and aren't aware of what's going on, it's frustrating. And there are a lot of crowds now. So, you know, part of learning to surf is learning the rules of the road, when it's your turn, when you should stay out of the way, when you're in over your head and all that stuff is good for everybody to be aware of but i think that because it's not such a perfectly groomed easily accessible spot uh, that's one of the things that helps it you know it's just so rough and raw that you know if you don't want to be around people you don't have to be most of the time yeah yeah and i was here the other day i just uh, my girlfriend and i biked over across the city on like a sunny morning uh just to check out the waves and we came over and it was a perfect day blue skies um nice clean waves ton of surfers in the water and one of the things that i that i saw out here that i I hadn't seen out in ocean beach before were kite foilers uh just going back and forth like behind the break essentially which was awesome to see and i know there's kind of a local like windsurfing and kite foiling scene in the bay um but i just wonder if you could talk about like how the the scene here has expanded beyond just like traditional surfing yeah, and that's and that, it's not just here. You know, it's kind of the world over. But within 
you know, not too recent history, there was no way to get in the surf zone except for with a surfboard. And then there was a, a few exceptions with windsurfers, which are mostly the best, you know, most adventurous windsurfers would be able to do it some of the time under certain conditions at some of these breaks. But <clears throat> most of the time, there wasn't any real way to be in the surf zone let alone surf or catch waves or ride around in there without a surfboard. Now there's lots of different ways. The paddleboarding, the kiteboarding, yeah. the kiters can go in places that the windsurfers didn't and pretty much have a great time. And then uh, the foil is a completely different thing, which is almost impossible to imagine even very recently that people could just jump off a dock in a flat water and start pumping like a skateboarder. And the thing they're on is like a little wing, like a boomerang, and they never touch the water. And they could go around in flat water by just hopping and then come back to the dock and never get wet. It's yeah. like basically, how did they do that? So that's a something. When you get one of those things near a wave, it's kind of off the charts as far as where they can go and what they can be on. They can just ride blue water lumps for miles and miles in the open ocean. So who knows what that's going to do. But yeah, the paddleboarding is up and down the coast around areas that we didn't use to surf. Wave riding has changed in so many different ways. So there's people pushing all those little avenues. And it's really, uh, you know, it's pretty neat to watch. Yeah. Have you ever tried kite foiling? I'm afraid of all that stuff. I, I didn't <laughs> want to kite kiteboard. I did some windsurfing and I was like, yeah, this is fun, but I don't want to buy all that stuff and fill my garage with a whole new set of boards. Uh-huh. And when the kiting first came out, I just it looked like I could get hurt. <laughs> and now I see the guys, you know, it's much safer than it was the first couple of years, but I just I kind of made a choice. Like, this is, I'm a one-trick pony. Okay. <laughs> so I wanted to switch gears real quick and ask you about Mavericks, which people know is the big wave break off of Half Moon Bay that has had a surfing contest for the last, I guess it's been about 15 years, but it's been on and off. And, uh, and most recently the World Surf League picked up the Mavericks contest, but then earlier this year dropped it uh, after a couple of years when the contest failed to come together. And there are all kinds of permitting issues and, and scheduling problems and all kinds of factors that go into the difficulty of hosting the contest. But now I wanted to ask you where that stands. Is it kind of on hiatus for the time being? It's definitely on hiatus this year. So I'm not really sure what the, what the long-term vision is for um, for for whoever's trying to put it together there's definitely different groups of people that would think putting it together one way or another but you know times have changed in a way that you know when we first had those events there were really very few people that were surfing mavericks on the biggest days and most of those guys were all in the event now <clears throat> and the way the world surf league the way it kind of unfolded was there was going to be a lot of people that had never really been to mavericks that were going to be in the event right they're just big the people, wave surfers right? <laughs> yeah they got their points and other parts of the world yeah. and other events that the Mavericks guys weren't weren't in and now the Mavericks event didn't have a lot of people that surf Mavericks in it so it was getting kind of weird um, it's always been an interesting thing you know competition is a natural part of any of these sports and especially something like big wave surfing but it's only a part of it and there's a lot of people that do that participate in the sport and push Mavericks without events and don't care about the events and don't like the events and then there's some people would think of it as a certain way and some people a different and um, so anyways it's hard to get consensus even amongst the small groups of people that are out there and now it's a much bigger group and then uh, yeah then there's all the money and you know are they trying to do it for the community are they trying to do it to make a bunch of money for one person or for one group or you know so then people would support it based on that like uh, if it's for you know one thing it would be uh, supportable but if it's something else no way you know and that's how people look at it yeah, what do you think it is about... This has been the same... We've had the same conversation about Mavericks, like, for the last decade or so. 
So what do you think it is about the contest or about the spot that makes it that makes it this way, that makes it so difficult for people to figure out? Um, part of it was, yeah, the, who's, the motivation between, you know, who's got, who's got the permits and who's trying to run it and under what conditions are they going to run it. And a lot of them, whoever that would be, attach a bunch of stuff to it that they need to make it worthwhile. Uh-huh. And so when the day comes, if all that stuff's not in place, it's not worth it for them. So, right. Um, having all the infrastructure for a giant webcast or having a beautiful sunny day on a weekend so that they can have a big crowd. Yeah. And if it's not that, they don't want to do it. So <laughs> when you start looking at it from a service point of view, it's pretty easy to go, hey, pick a big day, let's go. Yeah. Oh, but that's a day when they wouldn't be able to you know, justify running it or whatever. So it's hard anyway, because if you just had Mother Nature making it, it's hard. But then you have all the other stuff that gets attached. And I think that's really kind of why it, it hasn't happened as much. And that's why it's in a gray area now. Interesting. But in the meantime, it's not like people aren't surfing Mavericks, like you said. Like people still, the people who live around here are still going out there all the time, from what I understand. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the, almost even without fail the best wave of the year and the biggest day of the year weren't the year of the, the event day <laughs> right you know even when we had the event and whatever who was running it was really ready to rock and pick it up on the best day of the year it usually you know something happened next week or the next month and that would have been the best day or you passed up a day that you thought wasn't going to be good and that would have ended up being the best day and the rest of the year tanks on you so um you know big days are out there big great rides great accomplishments all that stuff happens every year every swell anyhow and the contest is just one thing to kind of, um, you know, celebrate what that is, but it gets sometimes off track a bit, and that's why people are sort of indifferent. And so we hear, I feel like the, the only times that I really read about Mavericks are in the context of the contest and where it stands. But since you've been going out there the last couple of years, what have you seen? Is it just a handful of people who go out there? Like, what's it looked like the last couple of years? Uh, you know what? No, I think the, the contest itself can, depending on how they're running it, have a big effect or, or not um last year actually when the world surf league was kind of the list was sort of set and they were kind of not really promoting it or doing anything so was, you could kind of tell they weren't that into it last year but that kept it really low key so as far as the event um you know putting pressure on the lineup there wasn't much but there's a lot of pressure out there anyway because there's so many good surfers and on the best big days some of the greatest surfers in the world are like focused on getting here and so that part is just every bit as intense if not more so and has nothing to do with the contest. It's all about them doing their thing, which is kind of a neater way to watch them pursue the dreams, you know. But um, when the contest was like, okay, we're having tryouts, and every Wednesday or, you know, anytime there's waves breaking, we're out there with a score sheet keeping taking names, that affected it, you know. So it made people yeah. act a little crazy. Yeah. And then what's the criteria? Oh, whoever has the best wipeout, we're going to put them in the contest. Well, if that's what you're going to use, then you're going to change the way people play. If, if it's sort of an open-ended... Um, you know, who's the most respected, who's making the best waves, then the surfers, that's what they try to do. If, if it's if it's really, you know, blow yourself up, there's some guys that will do that <laughs> and for just to get in or whatever, just to make a name. I feel like, um, you know, as recently as a few years ago, big wave surfing felt like it was poised to kind of take off with the, con- with the, the world big wave tour and just the interest in it. And now with Mavericks getting off the tour and the tour kind of fought the big wave world tour kind of falling apart. It seems like there's maybe, it just feels like there's been a little bit of a, a shift in how people are looking at, at big wave surfing. Um, no, you know what? I think there's always the drive for those guys that are on the edge of pushing the limits of the sport. They're just every bit as driven. Uh, you know, I don't see the events have, uh, you know, the whole, whatever collapse of the WSL big tour. I don't think that changes the, 
the approach of those top guys. There's a bunch of people that would have loved to have been in the events and in any of these spots. There's a bunch of young kids that grew up seeing the events and like sort of that was their dream. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, when you look at it that way, I feel bad for those guys because that was something that they just, you know, something that they wanted to do. I would hope that they find that outlet, you know, in there the way the the, the people like Shane Dorian and um, you know a bunch of the kind of soul surfing big wave guys Cole Christensen and because they don't care about the contest they were good in them they could have won them or they did sometimes but they don't that wasn't really dictating their drive or, or what they were doing and it's it's a healthier way to do it so the big wave tour yeah it was a great thing for some people and in some ways it could be a, a really special thing if it was done well but it's not the heart of the beast and it doesn't really matter if it goes away because that's still out there and back to the grassroots is kind of cool for some of those events um, you know and the WSL model wasn't really true to a lot of what a lot of us felt it should have been anyway so you know it's kind of like okay good <laughs> so now we could do their own thing um so we'll see i don't know uh, there's i'm certain you know there's opportunities there for something to, to take part uh, you know for the for the events there are a lot of more independent now with a lot of the local guys are in the events most of those events are surviving on their own anyway and we're around before the tour and after so we'll see what happens with it but competition is just a small part and and um you know to me those those best guys and the interest is still there you know people love to watch big waves and people love to ride big waves yeah most recently in the city the 50 year old wise surfboard shop closed at ocean beach right below where we're sitting right now what does that mean for surfing culture in the city is it does that feel like a big loss well, it's definitely like one of those milestones, I guess. Um, you know, when I I moved here in 1990 and he had it over on Vicente and it was a, pretty much a hole in the wall. <laughs> and I don't, I'm not really sure what the prehistory was. You know, there's old pictures from the 80s in there and maybe some before that. But um, it was always around. There weren't a lot of surf shops in that time. You know, you know, just to get anything for surfing was actually kind of hard. There wasn't a lot of surfers around. So Santa Cruz or South was where you sort of would go to get that stuff. And... Uh, it grew and it became a pretty huge shop yeah you know and it was you know it was central to a lot of people's experience here for sure over the last 30 years so yeah it's sad i know bob probably is ready to to be done with everything but um you know it was always here now it won't be does it feel like it's part of a you know like some kind of a trend or something like that of uh these old institutions that have been in you know these old surfing institutions that have been in the city and have you know, sort of come and gone. Yeah, I wonder, like, the retail thing, too. I mean, because people will order their wetsuits through Amazon or whatever. You know, you can get stuff delivered. You can get surfboards, uh, you know, in a bunch of different places. So the surf shop, though, does have that other sort of, like, bookshop thing where people gather there of certain interest and there's certain hangout aspect to it. So there'll probably be surf shops around long after most of the retail stuff is shut up. But, uh, you know, that San Francisco probably won't have another one of those, not the way you know bob's was yeah in terms of some of the newer pieces of surf surfing culture in san francisco one of the things i wanted to ask you about is the city surf project have you been involved in that yeah you know it's funny so my daughter's in high school and she was trying to start the surf club at her high school and and uh there was an issue there's a bunch of different things but they have a community service part of their uh education like a requirement and they also had an insurance issue with taking the kids surfing anywhere and so we hooked up with City Surf, and that was just like a perfect uh, combination where they have a lot of the stuff that that the school would need to have a surf club, and the surf club can help City Surf. So it's been a really good experience. It's fun to take inner city kids surfing, but it's also fun to see the older kids learning to teach each other and, and uh, younger kids how to go. 
Yeah, one of the things that interests me about the City Surf Project that I think is cool is it kind of keeps intact that old tradition of men, you know, older surfers mentoring younger surfers. Yeah, for sure. And that, I mean, the City Surf thing is, is, is an incredible outreach for a lot of different avenues to get involved in the what's going on in the surf community. But there's a much broader kind of educational aspect to surfing and the, the network of surfers all around the world and the like uh, Brian Kailana is a big lifeguard rescue uh, training expert, trains Navy SEALs and Coast Guard and stuff. It comes over and does stuff with the kids here. And uh, he said, you know, we're separated by the oceans, but we're connected by the water. And those lessons are life lessons. When you go somewhere that you're unfamiliar with, how you assess the risk of the beach, how you pay attention to what's going on, all the things that the kids learn when they get into the surf are things that will help them in everything that they do. So surfers are kind of this network that's sharing this knowledge all around. And you get the little kids hooked when they're young with, through a city surf thing and a couple of CPR courses and lifeguarding. Next thing, um, you know, they train 100 and then there's another 1,000 and it goes exponential. So the, it's really neat in the last just 10 and 20 years how much the surf community has shared uh, with that knowledge all around the world and, and really like into the cracks and crevices of places that are falling off the map. And this like little, you know, whether it's Waves for Water, Sustainable Surf, or, um, you know, there's a whole bunch of different organizations of surfers reaching out and, and um, changing, changing things. It's pretty cool. What is coming up in general? What are you looking forward to about this season? Uh, you know what? It was fun. I just, I got back from Hawaii because I did this film festival with uh, old footage and um, from uh, Greg Knoll in the 50s and really kind of tying back to why I got into big waves and why I love surfing. And then I came back and there was two good swells here in, in Northern California. I got to surf Mavericks a bunch of days and I'm kind of old. I've been out there for a lot of years and it was just really fun to catch a few and just to forget all about, I just love to surf big waves. It's so much fun. And, and just being out here with my kids and stuff the last few years, they're surfing now, they're teenagers and, you know, worrying about like them in the bigger waves, but seeing how much fun they're having with their friends, like that's stuff I look forward to surfing the big waves. I'm always going to look forward to hanging out with guys that are sometimes 20 years older than me and still surfing. Like, oh, cool, I got 20 more years to do this, you know? Yeah. So this, who knows what's going to happen as far as, like, you know, Mavericks having a good season or a bad season or the awards being a great success or not really. Who knows? doesn't matter. And, um, you know, we're going to all be doing our thing anyway and, uh, you know, looking forward to another season of it, whatever it is. So you're going to go check out Mavericks later today? Yeah, I think we're pretty much in there. Let's see, that last storm is passing right here. Uh-huh. And then it should, I mean, the wind is turned north, which is puts the bumps with us when we were riding Mavericks the most... Um, if it's south winds, we can't surf it, which was yesterday. Thanks very much again to Grant for making time to come on the podcast. To keep up with him, follow him on Instagram at Big Wash. That's big with two Gs. He's working on a surfing history film project right now that he'll have updates on soon. If you want to follow what I'm up to with California Outdoors Stories... I'm on Twitter at Greg R. Thomas, or if you've got questions for me or suggestions for who I should bring on the pod next, email me at gthomas at sfchronicle.com. Wild West is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Find us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, and if you like us, please throw us a rating and a review. See you next time. <laughs>